Luke 4, 38-44 Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And thank you for reading the scripture passage for today. And again, that was Luke 4, 38 through 44. And um, we are in our short series called Connecting Six Feet Apart, um, where we're talking about what, what it means to connect as followers of Jesus Christ with one another, with God, and with our neighbors. And in a time when connection may be at, the, at a premium, as um, it's we're all quarantining, staying at home. We've been doing it for a long time. And um, a lot of us are stir crazy. A lot of us uh, want to get out there and, you know, do our hobbies and our sports and interact with strangers and whatnot, uh, or interact with our friends, our family members, our classmates, our coworkers. And so I, I believe all of us are a little bit more hungry um, for human connection. Um, but also, I think that's a, at the core of who we are as human beings, a desire to want to connect with the God of the universe, with Jesus, and to connect with one another. And um, especially in this cultural and political milieu, that's a hard word, milieu, um, we live in divisive times. And as been clear um, with the insurrection in Washington and the politics and kind of the polarization of convictions and beliefs about uh, what's going on in our world, um, how our country should be, um, what, are, what is truth about uh, justice and how people uh, are treated. Um, we are at odds with one another and um, what is God? What is God's heart in the midst of that? You know, what is God calling? you calling us as disciples of Jesus um, in connecting or being ambassadors or being a part of a ministry of reconciliation? What does it look like to be faithful and prophetic at the same time to be able to speak truth into a world that's hungry uh, for truth or maybe missing the truth um, where truth um, is purposefully skewed uh, for political gain, for financial gain. Um, it's hard to trust um, what people are saying. It's hard to even um, be speaking in the same reality, um, truth, reality with one another when um, everyone has, through social media, through our information, through media, uh, we gain a, maybe a different set of facts and a different set of reality it's really, really hard, the bottom line of what I'm saying, to connect in a real 
way um, to be have common ground um, with our neighbor in many ways. So um, that's what we're talking about in our sermon series, Connecting Six Feet Apart. And my sermon title for today is Word and Deed, Word and Deed. But first I wanted to start off uh, with a story, another story of when I was an undergrad in college at Whitman College and part of a ministry, university campus ministry, um, was a student leader. But after my sophomore year, the summer between my sophomore year and my uh, junior year, um, I was invited um, with InterVarsity to go on a mission trip uh, to the Merida, Yucatan, uh, to the Yucatan in Mexico. And uh, six weeks, a six weeks trip, I think there were two groups of about five of us, so 10 of us from Whitman um, total. And we went to Mexico for six weeks and it was an amazing time. It was a hard time in many ways. And we each had our hammocks and we slept in hammocks all summer and went to different villages. And our particular uh, project was to create and start uh, VBSs, vacation Bible schools in the villages and to invite the neighborhood kids uh, to them. And I remember uh, this summer, I in particular, it was a summer where God was honing in on me and wanting to deal with my own identity. In particular, my ethnic identity, who I was as an Asian American growing up in a Korean home, um, but going to a mostly white college, liberal arts, private school, and wrestling with my identity, wrestling with finally realizing that I was different, that my background was different, and maybe um, uh, my destiny or like what was projected for me um, was different. And um, I remember a couple of stories, you know, we'd be playing with the kids basketball in the neighborhood on a basketball court, and everybody would be like to me, you know, I was the only Asian obviously on the team and maybe the only Asian that these kids have seen in their whole entire life, right? And uh, I was playing basketball and they're like, pass it, pass it, pass the ball, Chino, 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 Chino. And my friend, my staff worker, the uh, older white guy got so frustrated. No, it's Chino, it's Coreano, it's Coreano. And I was like, relax, calm down, it's okay. They're, it's a term of endearment. They're not making fun of me. They don't care about the distinction that you care about. You know, you're making it actually more awkward for me. Like, they recognize that, you know, I'm different and they've never seen a Chino before. And it's kind of cool. It's kind of fun. So that's one funny story and one that kind of connects with identity that I was different than people on my team. And actually, the way that I interacted with... Um, the, the people there in the Yucatan and the children there in Yucatan was different than how they interacted with the gringos, with the white people. And in many ways, there was a, a closer, we were automatically closer because especially in the summer, I'm much darker. I was dark like them, you know, and maybe culturally they felt uh, something different. And so, there was a connection being built. Another story I have is during VBSs, you know, I being an energetic person and a, you know, like to play with the kids, like to play tag and wrestle with the kids. And so while other people were, you know, playing organized games like hopscotch or marbles or like, 
you know, the girls were playing with the little girls and the boys were trying to teach them how to play bas uh, different uh, sports and games. I was the wild one wrestling with the kids and they were chasing me around. And for a while I felt like I'm so popular because all the kids want to jump on me and follow me and chase me around. Um, but one day I realized as the kids were jumping on me, you know, I started to get annoyed because I, I just wanted space and they kept pulling on my hair and pulling on my shirt and like, you know, it turned against me and I, inside I felt like, oh, it's a mob turning against me. And I realized like, am I just a piece of like trash to you? You're just grabbing and pulling at me and pulling at me and like, and my shirt and I think my shirt actually tore a little bit. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. It's out of hand. And I realized that day that as I was getting frustrated and upset that um, what I was getting, what I, what I realized was there's a small line, there's a small difference between, you know, connection and intimacy and really connecting with people and just chaos, right? Like, and this isn't a reflection of the culture there. It's just how children are, right? Children jump on you and maybe I think I'm famous and popular and like I'm the, I'm the fun guy. Um, but after a while, it's like, oh my gosh, like they don't really care about my shirt. They don't really care about me. And so I learned that about connecting. And the other thing that I learned is that Oftentimes when we in America or we in the West go on Christians, go on mission projects or mission trips, we think naturally, how can I help these people? We're going to go and build this thing. We're going to go and, you know, start VBSs. We're going to go preach Jesus about the Bible and teach them and they're going to become Christians. We're going to do these projects, this mission to these people. And the biggest thing that I learned in Mexico is about the connections that happen around Jesus's love. That when we connect with one another and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is present, that something beautiful happens. And we gain just as much as um, the people we are visiting gain, amen. And, um, Two things that st stuck out to me in my time there is in struggling with my identity and being Chino, no, es coreano, uh, was, you know, how I looked, right? I was not white. I had smaller eyes. I had black hair. And, um, you know, I remember one girl named Petronila. Petronila, who came up to me and said, I like your eyes. Or can I see your eyes? Can I see your eyes? And I was ready for like, oh, they're going to be like, ah, chino, chino, chino. Uh, or, you know, another thing to make me self-conscious. But she said, I like your eyes because they look like when people smile. And I, wrote, I remember writing that in my journal and it's stuck with me because what, sh what God was speaking to me in the midst of that was, you're beautiful. Like where I said, oh, God's creation of me, that it's, it's a mistake. It's something that's ugly or it's something that is not good. She, her words pointed out that it was actually good. It was actually 
beautiful. The other piece, when we were leaving and saying goodbye to our host family, our whole host family, all of them were crying, tears, and all of us Americans were like, I'm so glad to go back home. I can't, can't wait to, you know, watch TV and eat McDonald's and do all the things I want to do. And none of us were crying. We were like, get us out of here. And our host family was crying and crying. And I remember journaling about this and processing, like, what, what made it so hard for us to really put our heart out there? You know, so much so that when we say goodbye, it hurts us we're gonna actually miss these people. And our host families have put so much care and love to taking care of us and invested their hearts into us. So when there's separation, um, their hearts hurt, they cried. But we, as Americans, were still so protected, right? We were still all about the project and doing things and happy when we were done. Um, and that really struck me. Like, what does it mean to be vulnerable? What does it mean to truly be intimate? And why is it so hard for us to make friends or be friends with people or actually connect with people as if they were family and allow them to affect our hearts, affect our lives and change our lives? And so that's always stuck with me. Um, but in our passage, Jesus... Uh, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus um, is beginning his public ministry, his adult public ministry. And at the top of the uh, chapter, we learn that Jesus is coming off his temptation in the wilderness. If you remember, 40 days of temptation, no food, no drink, or no food. And this is following in Luke 3, his baptism by John the Baptist and God saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So there's this kind of anointing, first anointing, a baptism and an anointing of Jesus Christ by God um, saying, identity, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus' identity as God's son is affirmed that day when he rises out of the waters of Jor the Jordan. But immediately following his baptism, he's thrust into the wilderness into a test, into suffering, into like the greatest challenge of the human body that's possible, 40 days fast. And I have to, I, I forgot to mention at the end of Luke 3, you get Luke's uh, version of Jesus' genealogy, which is very distinct from the other gospels. Luke's version of the genealogy goes all the way to Adam. So Luke's emphasis, we can glean from that in his gospel is the humanity of Jesus Christ. Not only the humanity of Jesus Christ, Jesus, his lineage can be traced to Adam, but af before, after that is son of Adam, who is the son of God, right? So what we, what we glean from Luke is that Jesus is both fully human and fully God, and that's Luke's emphasis like. Jesus was fully human and a human being walking around with us. And yet, Jesus was also God. So we have God, man, walking around here in Luke. And so, temptation um, in the wilderness at the beginning of the uh, first half of Luke 4. Um, and we see that Jesus is challenged by Satan around his identity. 
You are the son of God, then test God. You're the son of God, then eat this bread. You're the son of God, then do this or do that. But bow to me, right? And Jesus passes the test. And then when he goes to Nazareth, um, to Galilee, which is his hometown, it says that Jesus goes to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Jesus, Son of God, human, in the power of the Spirit. Jesus has power. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he's popular. He's famous because of his teaching and the deeds that he's doing. And the, it says the news spread through the whole countryside. This is in Galilee, his hometown. And we also learned that it was Jesus's custom um, to teach in the synagogues. So Jesus regularly teached in the synagogues every Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, he taught from the scriptures. Later on, he goes to Nazareth. He went into the synagogue. And this, and I have to make a pit stop here because this is where he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and quotes Isaiah 64. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the lord's favor jesus is saying this is who i am this is why i was sent this is my mission this is who i connect with i'm here for the poor and my jesus's ministry public ministry is being inaugurated by the prophet isaiah and he says not only is this a good word he rolls up the scroll and says, today, this word has been fulfilled to you today by me, right? I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. And everyone who spoke, heard him spoke were amazed. And what were they amazed by him? They were amazed by the gracious words that came out of his mouth, verse 22, and Wondering, wasn't this Joseph's son? We know him. He's the carpenter's son. What? How can he speak with such authority? He's speaking with authority. He's speaking with grace. And then we move down. Uh, Jesus goes down from there to Capernaum, another town in Galilee. And he continues to teach the people um, on the Sabbath. But not only is Jesus teaching with his words, around the scripture, and not only are people amazed by his teaching, he's not just a great teacher with words of authority, but we learn um, in verse 33, that while he's in there in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, this man with the impure spirit, go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the demons know that Jesus is different. Jesus is special. No, it's just a man. as Dios as well, right? Even the demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. Even the demons know that Jesus is the Holy One of God and Jesus says be quiet he says sternly come out of him then the demon threw the man before them all and came out without injuring him and here we learn that we see that not only is jesus authoritative in speaking and teaching from the scriptures in the synagogues
but he has also has authority to cast out demons. He has authority with a word to free people from their chains. And again, it says in 36, all of the people were amazed and said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power, he gives, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him again spread throughout the surrounding areas. Jesus's authority, Jesus's words, Jesus's power to cast out demons, knowledge of the scripture and teaching in the synagogues, news about him, about all of these things is spreading. Because people are like, what is this? This is a new teaching. This is a new reality, right? A new person has hit the scene and people are amazed. A new person, who is this new celebrity? Who is this new icon? Who is this new, you know, person of authority and power? Like who is this new hero, a potential hero? I think people were hungry for a hero. People were hungry for someone who would feed them. People were hungry to learn, you know, teaching that made sense and teaching that was powerful. And also people were hurting, people were sick, people needed healing. And so they were drawn to Jesus because Jesus was the fulfillment of some of their deepest longings and needs. And Jesus actually was a person who had the power to do this. And we know this because Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is Son of God. And throughout Luke 4, if you're asking who is Jesus, Luke is filling out this picture of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. And we'll see this um, with the disciple Simon Peter. You know, we come to after Capernaum, it says in verse 38, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. And Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, fever, high fever. And they, they asked Jesus to help her. And so once again, just like the man with the evil spirit, uh, Isaiah, not Isaiah, <laughs> Jesus bends over and rebukes the fever. I mean, this is a different time. It's a different uh, awareness of sicknesses and spirits and whatnot. But just like Jesus rebuked um, the storms, the winds, the thunder, the lightning, the seas, Jesus here rebukes the actual fever and it leaves her. And she got up at once and started waiting on them. Not only was she sick, she got up, hey, you want anything to eat? You guys hungry? Let me serve you. But, you know, I used to think in my head, in my head, I thought when Jesus called his disciples, they were just random people fishing and Jesus comes up to them and says, follow me. And this is their first exposure to Jesus. And they're like, something in his eyes, like put them in a trance or something about how he said it or the power, he, he put them in a Jedi trance, like the Jedi mind trick, follow me. And they're like, okay, let's drop everything. 
But when I look here at Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus was actually in Simon Peter's house, in the mother-in-law of Simon Peter. And then in chapter 5, he calls Simon. So actually, Jesus, Simon knows Jesus. Jesus has been in his house. Jesus connects him. So as Simon is thinking, will I follow Jesus? Why should I follow Jesus? He's asking, who is Jesus? Oh, Jesus is the one who came to my house and rebuked the high fever and delivered my mother-in-law. Jesus has power in his words. Jesus has actual authority in his words. And, uh, you know, a lot of people out there may say, oh, Christianity, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus was that good, good man, right? He had good morals and ethics, right? He, he liked peace. He said, love one another. And Jesus just, and people say, oh, Jesus is just a good teacher, right? Or we say, oh, Jesus, what we want of Jesus, we want a Jesus, he's compassionate, right? He's a loving Jesus. He loves everybody and he heals people. He wants people to be healed, right? The compassionate, loving Jesus. Or we may feel like, oh, Jesus, he gives us good things, right? When I'm in trouble, when I'm at the bottom of my barrel, I just get on my knees. I lost my job. Let me get on my knees and pray. Jesus, help me. Give me a job. That Jesus is just this divine Santa Claus, right? But Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is God himself. And so the only way to God is through Jesus. Jesus is much more than any label that people put on him. And we have to remember this as Christians in the church and the followers of Jesus. That Jesus both embodies power, embodies goodness, embodies uh, generosity, embodies healing, and embodies truth, the truth. And in a world where truth is constantly skewed, people use truth or mistruth to influence people, to manipulate groups of people, tell people lies. We see this in our government. We see this that we've come to a sad state where nothing can get done that will actually help those in need when people are suffering because the question is not what do the people need what do people need how are people hurting but the question is if i say this or if i do this where does that align me how does what how will that come out in the bottom line so moving along to verse 40 it says at sunset the people brought Jesus, this is after Simon's mother-in-law is healed, they moved from there, um, and it's at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Two things that are happening here. Jesus is a really busy guy. As word is spreading about him, the crowds are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're coming to him at sunset. At a day where it may be, oh, it's dinner time. Oh, it's 
Time to, it's getting dark. It's time to get ready for bed. The people are coming, 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 just like our passage last week in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus, the crowds that are following Jesus would overwhelm all of us were it us. But Jesus, he heals them. He lays his hands on them. He touches them. He rebukes the spirits in them. And the other thing we see is that actually the, the demons that are coming out of the people are saying they know once again, they know who Jesus is, and they're actually saying it. You are the son of God. And intuitively, we would think, oh, free advertisement. Jesus would say, oh, keep saying it. Yes, I am the son of God. But what does Jesus do? He continually tells them to be quiet. Because why? Because it's not just about just saying a message, giving the message. Jesus is the son of God, or this is who Jesus is. But it's how, how the message is being spoken and from what source is the message coming from. Because we see later that it is in fact Jesus' intent not only to heal people, but Jesus wants to preach. Jesus wants to teach, right? Jesus is important to Jesus, not just to do good deeds that heal people, of healing people, but also a big part of his purpose is to speak, to preach the gospel. At daybreak, Jesus went in went out to a solitary place away from the crowds. The people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. It's almost become like a mob mentality, right? Because the crowds are so hungry. They want something from Jesus, right? They want the divine Santa Claus. Please heal us. Please touch us. Please give us bread. Please give us, you know, I've been hurting for many, many, many years. I've been lame, right? I, I can't walk, I can't see. This, this demon, the demons have been oppressing me, right? In our modern day, it could be depression, right? It could be an eating disorder. It can be anxiety. It can be physical. The maladies of our time and the maladies of their day, Jesus was meeting those people and the crowd was becoming a mob, pressing in, pressing in. But in 43, Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And this is where you get this idea of word and deed, right? Jesus was here not just for deed, but also with word. The gospel, the good news is both, right? Loving people and touching people but also a proclamation of truth in scripture, a preaching of the scripture, because you can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other, 
If you have just good deeds, if, you if you're doing good, loving your neighbor, but you don't have the truth, you don't have um, the teaching of the gospels, you're gonna burn out. If you just have teaching in your mind and the brain and the Bible and the Bible and the word, proclamation, word, 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 but you don't have deeds, then your faith is dead, as James said. But Jesus is like, I'm here for a mission and a purpose. I'm here also to proclaim the kingdom of God to other towns, town by town, right? And I am the word become flesh. I, was, I am speaking good news and it's strange right we remember that he rebuked the evil spirits for saying who he was right why wouldn't he just get free advertisement yeah go ahead say it that's why i'm here i'm jesus son of god but jesus is the way and the truth in the life jesus is the gospel embodied and only the good news can only come from the good shepherd the good one the Son of God. Amen. Word and deed. And as we go from this place and we think about what does it mean to connect six feet apart? What does it mean to be the church and to connect more intimately with God and with one another? Right? Think about word and deed. The gospel is embodied by both what we do and what we say right if we just feed the poor feed the poor feed the poor what's the difference between that and just being an ngo a nonprofit, you know that serves people we we need the teaching we need scripture we need discipleship we need the word of god to bring meaning and purpose and to order why we do what we do. And also, people need Jesus, the word of God, not just physical needs met, but they need Jesus. They need to say yes to Jesus. They need the opportunity to have Jesus in their life, the son of God. But if we're just talk, 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 Bible, 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 we also cannot connect in the fullness of Christ with our neighbors because they need, our, they need the heart. They need intimacy. They need connection. They need love in real tangible ways. Word and deed. Word and deed. And so as we go from this place, let the truth of Jesus Christ and who Jesus is inspire your acts of service and as we're serving and feeding and helping know that it's jesus it's because it's because who jesus is that we do this that it's the word of god that people need the word of god as well in their lives as man people do not live on bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of the lord word and deed connect and word and deed let's pray god thank you for 
your word and thank you for the testimony and witness of your actions uh, that what the what you do and what you say is the gospel and what we do and what we say in your name is living out the gospel in the world and that as we look to more fully connect with you that not only is what you can do for us or um, what you can give to us but also how you're teaching us how you're mentoring us and discipling us and as we love other people it's not just what we can do for them how we can serve them but that's the foundation of that is your word the gospel in scripture and that we also are called to proclaim your word and to teach your word as the church we both teach and we love with our hands help us to remember this and give us new insight in how we can pursue this in our daily lives in jesus name amen